Probably didn't think you could hear a Bono song this, or a U2 song this morning in church, did you? When, when uh, U2 wrote that song back in 1987, um, part of the thing, the reason I asked him to do it this morning, I asked Lee asked him to do it this morning, was because I thought it was very appropriate to deal with the topic we're talking about today. This search that we have for, for meaning in life, purpose in life, uh, because Bono came out and said that, that this was really a spiritual, this song was about the spiritual search of man for, uh, for purpose in life. And uh, it was kind of an unusual song for them to sing at that time. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about this whole thing of uh, seeking. And um, remember a few years ago, there was a, actually he's probably still around, but there was a guy named Robert Fal- Fulgram. And he wrote a book called uh, I- I- Everything I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Remember that book? He's written a bunch of other books too. They have lots of stories in them. And um, what he had to say there was this. He said, he wrote a book about uh, this one story about hide and seek. And he said this, he said, have you, have you ever had a kid in your neighborhood who, was always, who always hid so good nobody could ever find him? We did. After a while, we would give up on him and go off, leaving him to rot wherever he was. Sooner or later, he would show up all mad because we didn't keep looking for him. And we would get mad back because he wasn't playing the game the way that he was supposed to be played. There is hiding and there is finding, we would say. And he would say, it is hide and seek, not hide and give up. And we would all yell about who made the rules and who cared about who anyway and how we wouldn't play with him anymore if he couldn't get it straight and who needed him anyhow and things like that. Hide and seek and yell, that was what our game was called. No matter what, though, the next time he would hide too good again. He is probably still hidden somewhere for all I know. The thing is today uh, in Luke 15... Uh, we see the story that God talks about how we play the grown-up version of hide-and-seek. If you have your Bibles today, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 15. I began this uh, weeks ago when I was preparing this series. We're talking about the parables of Jesus. I actually was going to look at all three parables today because they all talk about the same thing. Then I got down to two parables, and finally this week when I finally started studying, I just decided to do the first one. So we're just going to talk about the first parable in the first few verses of Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, the parable that says this. Now, this, this is what it says in Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, last week, we talked about a couple of groups of people, Pharisees and sinners, and this, this mentions the same groups. Uh, we talked about that Pharisees were people who were religious people. They, were, they believed in the law. They were righteous people as far as on the outside. Uh, the problem was they didn't realize they were lost, just as lost as anybody else. And the other group of people, it says here, it talks about tax collectors and sinners. Now, why tax collectors? Well, in that society, uh, if you want to think about it, I guess in our society, it would, it would be drug dealers and, uh, and, uh, and mafia or something like that. If you want to think of the worst of society, if you want to put them on parallel here, the tax collectors were considered the dregs of society in that day. And so basically there was this group of people who would gather around to hear Jesus speak. This group of tax collectors and sinners, the dregs of society, the lowest of the low, and then this group of high and mighty uh, religious Pharisees, teachers of the law as well. It says this. And then in verse 3, Jesus says, he begins to tell the first of three stories. We're going to go look at the first today, but all three deal with the same thing in a real sense, the same basic premise we're talking about today. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Basically, this story and the other two stories, the story of the lost coin and the lost son that we see in the remainder of this chapter, is really the story of how we play hide-and-seek with God. Um, you know, hide-and-seek is a simple game, is it not? I found out a while ago that I really didn't play hide-and-seek correctly when I grew up uh, because there's some rules that I didn't follow, but I just repent of that and go on today. But the issue is hide-and-seek is a real, a real simple game, right? One person uh, seeks, everybody else runs off and hides, and of course, if you're playing hide-and-seek, the, the fun part is being the hider, right? That's the fun part of the game. If you hide, you get to be in the control. You get to decide where you're going, and uh, you get to keep your eyes open and you know, all those things. You get to call the shots. The hard job in hide-and-seek is to be the one that seeks because the seeker has to deliberately let all of the hiders run away from him, and he places himself or herself in a humble position. He has to close his eyes and count to 100. That's how you're supposed to play the game, right? No, you don't, didn't play hide-and-seek growing up? You don't? Oh, well, maybe you're just like me. You made up your own games. But... Um, and the problem with hide-and-seek is, is nobody wants the job of being the seeker. Because you remember in hide-and-seek, um, when somebody is the seeker, what kind of name, what kind of title do they get if they're the seeker? What is their title? It. It. That's your title. You're it. Y'all don't remember? Man, you guys are really... You're a more... You, you can talk to me this morning, okay? I'm going to come down and talk to you if you don't talk to me, okay? But it's it. it. Nobody wants to be it. In fact, when the game starts, what does everybody say? Not it. Y'all do remember the game, okay? Not it. Nobody wants to be it because everybody wants to be the, have the fun part of the game, the control part of the game, where you're the person who gets to hide. Everybody runs off. They want to, don't want to be it. I'm not it. And at the end of the game, this is what the part I found out I played wrong. At the end of the game, uh, what happens if people have hidden themselves too well, like the person in the story by Robert Fulgram, uh, if they elude it throughout the entire game and it gets fed up with trying to look for people, what does he yell? None of you know? Well, I found out a while ago, and this was in Robert Fulgram's story, and I found out we, we didn't do it right in Virginia, but we, that somebody would yell out, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. You ever heard that one before? Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, thank you. Golly, it's like pulling teeth this morning to get you to respond. Uh, okay, I'm going to come down here and talk to you for, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't see, there's no lights down there. But the issue is, is that's what they would do. Now, what did that mean? You know, I did a Google search on that. Nobody knows what it means. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, there was no definition. Actually, there was variations of that. But Ali Ali Oxen Free basically meant this. In the context of the game, it meant this. You can come home now. You're safe. It's safe to come home. No one will chase you. No one will tag you. You don't have to be it. The despised it. You don't have to be any of those things. You don't have to suffer any penalties. You're free to come home. That's what that little phrase basically meant in the context of this game. In a sense, it's a cry of grace to the people who are playing the game. Now, this story that Jesus tells, this story of the lost sheep 
And then the, father, the next two stories, the lost coin and the, and the lost son, are really stories, in a sense, of searching. It's the story of hide and seek that we play. In the story about the shepherd and the sheep, it's really a story about God and human beings, about people uh, who, were, who, were, who were lost. But who is it in the story? The shepherd. And who does the shepherd stand for? God. God is the one, it's it. And he's chosen to be it, and he's searching for us. That's the picture that we see. That's a hugely important picture to hold on to today as we think about what it's trying to tell us here and the importance of this message. You know, there was a bumper sticker campaign a few years ago in Christian circles, and it said on the bumper sticker, I don't know if you saw these, we had these in Virginia, it said, I found it. Remember that a few years ago? It was about 15, 20 years ago. There was this bumper sticker campaign. I think it was in the mid-90s. And the thing about it was, is that kind of like the, the ideal was, is that people would put it on their bumper sticker when they found Christ, they found faith. I found it. Well, you know, that sounds good, but in a real sense, from a theological perspective, that's exactly backwards. Because the truth is, as Jesus says in this parable, in the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, what he's saying is, is that the ultimate truth is it really found me. It is God. God is searching for us. He is, he's going out on a search. That's good news. He's searching for us, and that is the way hide-and-seek works as well. Very often people, though, we, we're on spiritual journeys, and, and people think of themselves, and we talk about this in church all the time, of certain people as being seekers or searchers. And, and, and some of you might be here this morning. We realize that sometimes at Great Oak, some people that show up are really aren't convinced yet about this whole thing of who Jesus Christ is. They're seekers. They're searchers. And it's good. The Bible says in a real sense that you can have confidence if you search after God. It says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will search me and you will know me if you seek me with all of your hearts. But the truth about us, more, the, the greater truth about us, though, is this. Whilst, while we make it to a place in life to be searchers, most of our life, we're hiders. We hide from God. And God is seeking us out. He's searching for us. He's trying to connect with us. It, it goes all the way back to Genesis in the very beginning, back in the garden. As we see Adam and Eve, the first people in the garden, what do they say after they've sinned? They say this. They respond to God in Genesis 3.10. I heard you in the garden talking about God. And guess what they said? And what did they do? I was afraid, so I hid. We've been trying to do that forever. It started back in the garden. We still try to do that. We try to hide from God. Uh, but the, the Bible says for us, though, the truth is this, is that we're just like sheep, though. We're continually wandering around. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us turned from, from, to our own way. In a real sense, all of us have turned from God in our lives. That's the problem. And that's why God is seeking us. That's why, that's why Jesus told this story uh, to, not only to these to these tax collectors and sinners, but he told it as well to the Pharisees. It wasn't just for the tax collectors and sinners. It's for the Pharisees because he's saying all of us, he says all of us are like sheep, not just some of us. All of us are like sheep. We've all turned away from God. You remember, um, have you ever seen kids do this? Uh, little small kids, they'll play games or they'll be somewhere and they don't want people to know something and so they'll, they'll, they'll sit in the middle of a room and they'll close their eyes and they'll say, you can't see me. You ever seen a kid do that? Yeah, it's kind of foolish, isn't it? You know, just because you close your eyes that you can't see. But little kids do that. I've seen many little kids do that. Like, all of a sudden, there's this, I'm an invisible man. 
because, you know, because, uh, because I have my eyes closed. And we're thinking, how cute, that's really cute, you know. But only an immature child would do that, right? <clears throat> you see, the amazing thing is, um, we've all, we, all, we all tried this. We all close our eyes to God. We think that God can't see us. You know, I, I was amazed. There's a story I was reading in Genesis after I read that story about, or read that verse about, uh, I heard you in the garden, I was afraid, so I hid. Uh, there's a story there in Genesis 3 that says this. They, it says that, that, that uh, Adam and Eve they said they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. This is just after they had sinned, after they'd eaten a tree of uh, the fruit of uh, tree of fruit of good uh, knowledge and evil, and, and it says they were walking in the garden at the time of eve, evening, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, they're trying to literally hide themselves from God, and this is what it says though about what God. It says this the response, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" Now think about that for a moment. This is not us. You know, some, I can hide from you, literally. And you can hide from me, literally. But can we hide from God? Do we believe that God's such a, a person that we, we can hide from him? Literally, no. So what does this mean? What does this mean? God is not confused here. It's not that he lacks information. The point of the story is this, that God has chosen to allow human beings to hide from him if they want to. To, to God loves us as people so much that he only wants to be with us if we choose freely to be with him, to be in his presence. And he does it out of love. He will not force his presence on us. That's what the story is all about. And so God allows human beings to hide. It's as if God closes his, takes his hands. I don't know if God has hands, you know. And he closes, puts them over his face and he starts counting to 100 like we do in hide and seek. And he can't see us. See, he allows himself, he, he, he lets himself do that because he wants us to seek him. But he's going to search for us. And he's going to finally say, um, where are you? And you're going like, well, we don't really hide from God. Yeah, I believe we do. Let me give you some examples of how we hide from God. You know, it, it might be a man whose priorities are so messed up that his kids never even really know him. And he can't remember the last time he prayed or, or thought seriously about God. And he knows that there are things that he should be getting around to, but he doesn't get around to him. I'll do it someday when there is time. He's hiding. Or it might be the woman who is filled with anger. She's angry at her mother or angry at her husband or angry at her children. And she's angry at God because God hasn't given her the, the, given her the husband or the children that she really thinks that she should have. And so she has this kind of frozen anger in her, and not many people see it, but she does. And every once in a while, it surfaces and it frightens her. That person is hiding. It may be the couple that comes to church every week. And, and, and they are friendly and they are respectable people, but there's a problem. The husband, let's just say, is involved in a kind of sexual behavior which he cannot control anymore. And it's a hidden thing. And he knows he needs to do something about it, but he won't do anything about it. So what does he do? He hides. You see, all of us hide from God in various ways in our life. Everybody in this room knows what it is to hide from God. All of us have done it in our lives. But the truth is, this verse goes back to this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Every sheep is lost. We have to first realize our lostness. 
And that's the part of Jesus' story, and the sheep get lost. But there's another part of the story, too, that's critical here to the understanding of what the gospel says. Let me ask you a question. In this story, in Jesus' story, what are the odds that the sheep is going to make it back to the fold on its own? Y'all know anything about sheep? They're not the brightest creatures in the world. Okay? I mean, you know, in our culture, if, 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 you know, animals that are fairly intelligent usually get television series made after them. You know? Remember a dolphin that had a television? What was its name? Flipper. Okay. We're doing, you know, we can talk back this morning. Flipper. You remember that he was a very intelligent dolphin. Man, he could do all kind of cool things. You know, uh, how about, uh, how about uh, 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 dogs? Any remember any dogs that had television series made after them? Lassie. Ren Tin Tin. Benji. Beethoven, no, Beethoven, that was a movie, wasn't that wasn't a television series. You know, there's all these dogs that had, you know, really smart dogs. How about cats? Garfield? I, I don't know, you know. I don't know, but you know, Garfield did have, you know, he was, a, it was an animated series. Uh, how about uh, horses? Any famous horses you can remember had, you know, intelligent horses? My, you know, Mr. Ed, my friend Flicka. Black Beauty. You need to go ahead and name the whole list of them. You know, there's a whole bunch of them there. How about, uh, I mean, it was even a spider that got a, got a movie made after it. Charlotte's Web, remember that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, how, about, uh, how about pigs? Anybody remember any famous pigs that, had a tel- that, were, that were star of a television show? Anybody remember Green Acres? Arnold Ziffel. Yeah, I mean, you guys are telling your age here, you know. Arnold Ziffel. Arnold Ziffel was an intelligent pig. You know why? Remember why he was so intelligent in the show? He could tell the weather by his tail. I don't remember how that worked, but it, it, that's, that was the truth. I mean, it was, it was tell. Now, let me ask you, do you remember any television series where a sheep was the star? Lamb chop. Lamb chop. Lamb chop. No, 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 oh, no, 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 Lamb Shop, I hate to tell you this, Lamb Shop was a hand puppet. <laughs> Sherry Lewis was the one that made her talk. That doesn't count. I knew somebody would say that one. You see, you know, no sheep ever get, got, got named for a tele, because the sheep are not very bright animals. Matter of fact, let me tell you what one writer talks about sheep like this. This He says, sheep are notorious creatures of habit. Left to themselves, they will follow the same trail until it turns into ruts, graze the same hills until they become desert waste, pollute the ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites. They are just not bright animals. Sheep are not proactive. Sheep are followers. There is a whole flock of sheep traveling, and one of them goes over the side of the cliff. Guess what all the rest of the sheep will do? They'll follow right over the side of the cliff. Every one of them. I mean, you would think that one of them at least would pause for a moment and say, well, that sheep just disappeared over the cliff. Should I do the same thing? But it never happens with sheep. They just follow right along. There's an old English term for sheep as well that I thought was interesting as well. It talks about how dumb sheep are. It's called, it's called a cast sheep. You ever heard of a cast sheep? C-A-S-T? Cast sheep. You know what it says? It says this. Um, it says A cast sheep is this. It says, this is the way it happens. A heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns its back far enough and the feet will not touch the ground. 
It may fill a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even f- further. Now it is quite impossible for a sheep to regain its feet. As it lies there struggling, gases begin to build up in the body. And as they expand, they tend to retard and cut off blood circulation to the extremities of the body, especially the legs. If the weather is very hot and sunny, a cast sheep can die in a few hours. If it's cool and cloudy, it may survive for a few days. But left to itself, it's going to die. All of us are like sheep. That's what Scripture says. That's not a real flattering term if you look at that, you know? All of us are like incredibly dumb animals that just follow along the way and do our own thing. Now, Jesus is saying this is what the human predicament is. Yours and mine. It's our story. We cannot make it to God on our own. For sometimes we think, we're confused about this. Some people think, well, if I'm just good enough, um, I think that will be okay to God. Or maybe if I attend church occasionally, try to believe the right things, or if I do more nice things than I do bad things, hopefully we'll all balance out. The Bible says, though, the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. That means left to ourselves, we are without hope. And let me go back to this verse. Let me add on what it says at the end of the verse. I didn't put the whole verse up there. All of us are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to us our own way. And the Lord has placed on him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. The sin, the lostness of us all. The thing is, the Bible says at the cross, God placed upon him, Jesus, placed upon Jesus Christ, the guilt, the moral indebtedness for you and for me. In the days before Jesus, the sheep were often offered, guess what? They were offered as sacrifice to God. And at the shedding of blood, it was a reminder, it was a real reminder of the penalty of death that sin involved. John the Baptist, when he came, he told about people, he told about people coming to Jesus. When he saw Jesus coming from a distance, what did he say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. The place where God claims lost sheep is the cross. That's what he did it for us. And that's what this story is about is that God is the one who initiates. God is the one in our game of hide and seek. He's the one who's seeking us. That's good news for us. Remember at the beginning of the story, I told you there was two groups of people. In verses 1 and 2, two groups of people. Remember the groups of people were the tax collectors and the sinners? And the other group of people were the Pharisees, the religious professionals? The difference between the two groups is not what you think, though. The difference between the two groups is this. The first group, the tax collectors and the sinners, were lost, but they knew they were lost. But the Pharisees were also lost, but they didn't think they were lost. They were kind of like the cast sheep who was laying over in the ditch going, oh, just go on, don't worry about me, I'm doing fine. And at the same time, was dying. You see, sheep have another very human-like quality as well. Sheep can be stubborn, very stubborn. They just kind of do their own thing. I've, I've never been a shepherd, don't plan to be one, but sheep can do their own thing. Let me do a survey this morning to prove to you that all of us are stubborn, Okay. Listen up carefully. I'm going to tell you some things, then I want you to respond in a moment, okay? Just think about these. Have you ever once in your life been wrong and had a hard time admitting it? If the W word, I'm wrong, has ever gotten stuck in your throat, if you ever find that you hate to lose an argument, have you ever been on a trip and you got lost but you refused to stop and ask for directions because you do not want to admit that you were lost? 
If the remote control has ever been pried out of your fingers because you didn't want to, you want to do your own thing. Or have you ever been reluctant to tell somebody else that they're smarter than you, that they might know something more than you do? Have you ever had any of these tendencies in your life? Okay, let me ask you a second question. Is somebody sitting next to you that's too stubborn to raise their hand to admit that they're stubborn? <laughs> See, all of us, all of us have this stubborn streak in us. We want to do things our own way. We want to admit that we're right, that we're not wrong. And some of us here in this room have already acknowledged our basic lostness to God and have begun our journey with a shepherd. Some of you have done that. Some of you are just here today to learn, to, to grow. I mean, that's where you are in this whole thing. But some of you in this room, and I want to get real personal with this as we close, some of you in this room are fighting just because of plain stubbornness. Some of you are here, there's a kind of pride or hardness at, at work in your life on a very deep level. And it causes you to refuse to acknowledge God, to God that you have a need. And because of that, this pride causes you to clench your teeth and to clench your fist and, and to refuse to open up to God to say this, I am a sinner, I am like a sheep, I am lost. And to admit that. The good news is, is that God has provided a way out of our lostness through his son Jesus Christ. And some of you are at a crossroads this morning at a decision you need to make in your life. It's really the ultimate decision of life. And I want to give you a little reassurance from Jesus' story. It's an interesting to look at what the shepherd does not say in the story. You know, my inclination is when I see sheep doing stupid things or people doing stupid things, my inclination is to kind of give up on them. But you notice the shepherd does not come to the sheep and say the things that I would be tempted to say, you stupid sheep. You have only yourself to blame. What were you thinking of wandering off like that? It's your own fault. I mean, how often we do that with people, write them off. Why couldn't you be more careful? Don't you know the path was narrow and the cliff was steep and the countryside was filled with wolves? Uh, didn't you know that you would be in for trouble? Don't come bleeding to me now that you have gotten lost. Now, the shepherd doesn't say any of those things. What does the shepherd do? When the sheep gets lost, the shepherd goes out and got, puts out an all-out search to find the sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he places the sheep upon his shoulders, carries them back to the village, and they have a party, a celebration. See, God is seeking us that much. He loves us that much that he wants, that he's on an all-out search for us. And when we come and we finally come to him and say, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm lost. And he places us on his shoulders and he takes us back. There's a party in heaven for us. Believe it or not. This morning, I want to just say this to you. You have a choice about how you respond about what your reaction will be to God. And God invites us to trust him, to throw ourselves into his arms, to become a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ as an act of trust. And it involves simply this. It involves my saying to God, I now confess my sins. Yes, I'm lost. I am a sinful person. I've done things that I shouldn't have done, and I have not done things that I should have done. And then I acknowledge my need and I recognize I will never measure up to God's standard no matter how hard I try, that I will not make it to him on my own. I can't earn it. I can't be that good. I need to be saved. I am lost, and I need a power greater than myself. And then to say to God this, I submit myself to you. 
I now make Jesus my Savior and my teacher and my guide and my Lord whom I will obey. I make him the shepherd of my life. I now confidently throw myself into the arms of God. And God wants us to do that because he is seeking us. He's on an all-out search for us. Some of you have been hiding from God for a long time. And you need to quit hiding. And you allow the shepherd do what he does best, and that is to seek that which is lost and to rescue that which is lost. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.